0: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God,
1: real niggas getting money from the fucking stars.
0: Hey
1: everybody, welcome to the show. This is Wayward Weekly, episode 7 I think we're on. I am one of your hosts, Bobby Burns. And I'm Paul Sexton. All right, Paul, let's dig into this. Um, So for today, we are going to go over uh, anything that we might have missed from last episode or some of the things that we skimmed over when we talked about uh, Trump and the deal that he made with Saudi Arabia to lower their oil production. Uh, And then uh, about halfway through, we'll change it up and go over... Um, something that I'm extremely familiar with, uh, we will go over behaviors or habits, um, and Well, I don't know if we'll specifically go through the books, um, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, The Power of Habit and Atomic Habits, which are two books that explore how to change your behaviors, how to create new habits, things like that. Uh, And I guess I'll answer any questions that you have on it, or I will just rant about behaviors and habits for a half hour or 45 minutes. So we'll see how that goes. But first, let's get uh, back to last episode. And start by clearing any, uh, clarifying anything that we skipped through when we were talking about Trump, Saudi Arabia, and the decrease in oil production to stabilize oil prices in America. Um, Paul, I know you said that uh, you have a few notes that you wanted to start with on that, so I'll let you take it away.
0: Yeah, I don't really have uh, a ton to add, except for the fact that I kept on thinking that, you know, the cat's kind of out of the bag in terms of us being able to course correct in terms of us securing... Uh, trade routes with other countries. You know, we kept on talking about uh, the United States having a national security interest in maintaining manufacturing here as opposed to having it overseas, meaning we have to have uh, adequate production facilities for producing gasoline. That way, other countries can't just punish us by pulling their supply, leaving us basically hanging and not being able to produce ourselves because they are the ones in charge of production. Mm -hmm. So we have this kind of balance. But uh, aside from gas, this has kind of been the way things have been going with consumer products in general. Uh, For the longest time, uh, consumer price indexes kept on going down in terms of uh, the price per product. So uh, that could be looked at as value, right? In America, or globally? Well, it's happened globally, but it's uh, it's really uh, taken off in terms of. I mean, uh, well. In terms of all developing nations as a whole, they tend to move their manufacturing facilities to countries where the they don't charge uh, the same labor rates that we would uh, sure. here or they would in in other parts of Europe. Um, and I don't see any of that actually coming back. And I'm not sure from a nationalistic standpoint what you could do to incentivize companies to bring those manufacturing facilities. Uh, Uh, operations back to the United States. I mean, first of all, if you brought it back to the United States, sure, we would have uh, an increase in our middle class over the the long run, like we saw before. But at the same exact time, then our prices for our goods go way up, and that may inhibit our ability to sell to uh, other developing nations. So uh, it creates a bit of a conflict. But you were saying before that with what Trump is doing in terms of specifically as it pertains to the gas prices that it was essentially hurting the little guy. And I tend to agree with that because in the short term, we're going to see higher gas prices, which makes it harder on you and I to uh, engage in our daily commutes. However, in the long run, maybe we won't experience the things like we did in the 1970s where we have horrendous gas spikes and horrendous shortages, which literally crippled the economy for a lot of Americans and put us in dire straits. But we have been doing that with consumer products uh, for the last 20 or 30 years. We've slowly been moving the manufacturing through various trade agreements to other countries. um, And we no longer produce any of that stuff here. And I think the only counter and the only way to actually take care of all that is by welcoming uh, robotics, artificial intelligence. And that's what I kept thinking. That's kind of where I wanted to, uh, to go with you just at the beginning here and just kind of look at what life would be like if there was no human input, meaning yeah. the, the amount of human input w- would be basically just caring for this, uh, these various machines as they produce. In other, and words, all of that-
1: in other words, the way to bring production back to America is to find even cheaper labor or uh, rather free labor. Robots, uh, But then that will help strengthen the middle class because we will need people to essentially look after um, uh, programming the robots, upkeeping the robots, repairing the robots, things like that.
0: Yeah, and I think that'll be a huge industry, um, you know, at least for the time being, because these robots aren't necessarily going to be autonomous. And this is one of those subjects, too, that you and I are talking about it, and yet we're not AI experts. I mean, I'm just looking at this commonsensically. Like, everyone keeps saying we need to have manufacturing come back to this country, and I don't see how the United States government could tell these corporations that are already operating globally, like, hey, stop what you're doing and come back here. I mean, what's to stop them from just incorporating in another country altogether, saying, hey, you know what? It's going to be a pain for us. We're going to have to spend some money to reincorporate, but we're going to do it because because um, uh, it's serving the shareholder, blah, blah, blah. You know, that sort of thing.
1: One way that they could uh, get production back here a little bit is um, by putting, is it called a tariff when you put a tax on a product that is imported from a foreign country? Um, So by placing something like that on goods that come from other countries uh, and having that tax... um, that is being imposed on that good go back to the industry that we're trying to build here. Now, I agree with you in the sense that we're probably not going to be very hopeful of bringing the human workforce back here to America when we're talking about production, but I'm also a little bit skeptical about uh, robotics coming back to America because of, of two reasons. One, I think the prices would still be high because a lot of the... Uh, goods required to manufacture robots aren't made here either, so we're still going to be importing a lot of parts for the robots, um, which is still going to make it expensive. I think it would be far more cost efficient for China to just make the robots, since a lot of the um, parts are created there. And
0: then that's assuming a, hu- human input, though. Correct.
1: That's a, well. The the robots themselves need to be created.
0: Yeah. So they, they need to be created, but that's in the short term. I mean, eventually it'll get to a point, right, where the robots are essentially creating themselves. That's, and if is, anything, human beings are the programmers. That is true. For the time I, being.
1: I believe we were, were quite a bit um, off from that. I mean, we already have robots taking over... Uh, a lot of jobs we've had robots taking over our jobs for the past 50 60 70 years right the industrial revolution is essentially the beginning of robotics taking over people's jobs and making things simpler and simpler it's just that the the thing taking over our jobs is is being able to do more and more and more of that <clears throat> now i don't think there's ever going to be this really big sudden shift um, where all of a sudden like robots have taken over our jobs because it's been such a slow moving process that like if you would have thought back 50 years to, uh, or if, if you lived 50 years ago and you looked at how things are going today in some of the manufacturing plants or if you went into like the Tesla Gigafactory, you'd be like, they did it. Robots took over our jobs. So what are people doing? Um, you look at how automated everything is. It's not like one robot, but the building itself is a giant mechanical robot, all its, all its insides. I mean, the only difference is it's not one autonomous being. It's a lot of moving parts, but, but the building is essentially a robot doing things. And so I think we already have a lot of that. Now <clears throat> I talked a, a little bit about the, the, the parts and you're saying, okay, so what if robots build the robots? That's fine. Well, what does it take to build a robot? We need, um, a lot of, uh, materials to create batteries and components that just don't exist here in the United States, that aren't harvested here in the United States, that I don't even know if we have the capacity to harvest here in the United States. I mean, do you I'm I'm not extremely familiar with all of this, but I know like part of the reason that cell phones are expensive is there are certain things that go in the battery and certain things that go in the circuit boards yes. that can only be found and mined and harvested in other countries.
0: Right. Yeah, and or or mine in other countries because uh, their regulations aren't as steep here, so it's more cost effective to s- extract sure. in other nations. It doesn't. I mean, it it still has an environmental impact, obviously, but right. they're going to countries where extraction is is easier. Right. So then not only do we have that problem
1: that we have to face, um, but we also have the problem of real estate. Real estate here is so much more expensive than it is in other countries, right? Yeah. Um, so we now have in a, if you go to another country to manufacturing, uh, manufacture something, um, the, uh, real estate is cheaper. The workforce or the labor force is cheaper and the materials are cheaper. It is cheaper all around to build it in that other country than it is to build it here now i don't know like i could just sit here and say well i think it would be good if we put uh, some type of tax on any type of imported products and really build and strengthen our own uh, economy and our ability to survive independently from other countries and operate independently from other countries um, but at the same time that's really it's unrealistic i don't think people are willing to do that. You know, you're going to have to sacrifice so much of what you're able to do to, to make that happen. You're going to have to spend, you know, like we were talking about, if, if, uh, you want to buy, uh, let's say, <clears throat> um, What did we use as the example last time? Let's just use like a PlayStation, right? They keep talking about a PlayStation that's coming out that's going to cost Sony around $500 or $600 to make. Well, if it's made here, it's probably going to cost about $2,000 to get made. Are people really going to want to spend $2,000 now to buy that game console, or let 's say an extra controller for the the game console costs about fifty or sixty dollars well now it 's going to cost about two or three hundred dollars. Would you spend two or three hundred dollars just for an extra controller so somebody else can play with you occasionally and so um, not only do do we not like let 's say we are willing to do that occasionally the amount of things that we're going to produce can't be that much because we're not going to be able to consume as much as we do right now. So I don't know. These are just some some issues that I see with that. However, I do think inevitably we're headed in that direction. Um, but I think there'll always be jobs uh, for people there along the way. I just don't know if it will be here in the United States. I mean, we've... Uh, i don 't know the statistics on this, but haven 't we shifted from a goods uh, based economy to a service based economy by a certain percentage over the last fifty years i remember that 's what i 've heard yeah I remember re- re- reading a statistic on it, like we were eighty percent goods based and now we 're like 30% good based and and you know this, the amount of service that we provide, the amount of jobs in the service industry whether it be waiting or healthcare or therapy or, or um, uh, you know driving a car for somebody, these are all services or being a lawyer, these are all services they don't actually produce any goods into the world so I think we've shifted to that and I honestly think we will continue to shift more and more and more to that, I mean I think the whole world will right, there's no reason that at one point in time in the future, that robots theoretically couldn't do everything and we would provide most of the services. Actually, in that book I was reading, I've quoted it three episodes in a row uh, now, Homo Deus. Uh, essentially, he says, there's no reason that actually robots couldn't do art for us. There's no reasons that they couldn't pre- create poetry. They already create music. Um, they did a study where they <clears throat> uh, this guy programmed a computer to write music like Bach, I believe. And he had him compose, he had the computer compose about 200 pieces. And then he showed the music to individuals and then told them it was created by a um, computer. And most people didn't like the music. They said there was something lacking to it, that um, it just didn't have the emotion. But then what he did is he put a bunch of people in a theater and had them listen to the music and he inter- intermixed it with uh, songs f- that were actually from Buck and then had people rate and rank the songs and say what they thought was which. And they had no idea whatsoever. They couldn't tell at all that one thing was created by a computer and the other by a human being. So there's no reason that robots won't be able to take over services for us. They won't be able to take over... Um, um, art or poetry, they, they probably will be doing all of these types of things for us in the future. And I think that poses, uh, and, and this was kind of in the book, a big question that was posed at the end there. What will we do then?
0: Well, well, maybe I just look at it a little bit differently and, uh, was it Naval Yahari That's the name of the author.
1: Yeah. Noah Harabi.
0: Okay. Yeah. It, well, I think it just depends on how you look at it. Like it, we have this, this feeling like we're going to create this singularity, we're going to create these robots. And then what are we as human beings going to be left to do? You know, and I agree with you just to go a little bit, uh, back a little bit further in terms of resource extraction. I think those that own the resources will always be, uh, the ones that are essentially controlling society. Cause even with robots, they're still going to need, people are still going to have to own the resources that are being extracted um but uh i don't i don't i think human beings in general uh, are too selfish to let AI get out of control. You have a lot of individuals that are, uh, you know, extremely smart people, scientists that are just like, you know, this is going to get to a point where it's going to be, it's going to get away from us. We're not going to be able to control it. Uh, and then we're going to have these other beings that we created that are far superior and that are going to take over everything than what's left for us. And that is, to me, seems like we're not considering our own narcissistic behavior, <laughs> you know, our own narcissistic tendencies. Do you think for one fucking second that we're going to allow some robot to, to outdo humanity? It'll never happen. If anything, what we're going to do is we're going to create this stuff. We're going to realize, wow, there's some symbiosis with human beings. We can uh, integrate those into our own brains and actually create a, uh, a symbiotic atmosphere between sure. the human brain and an AI technology. So yeah. I see AI just because like with everything we do, we make it about us cause we can't help it. Uh, I think that we'll do the same exact thing with AI that we'll, we will integrate it into us. The things that will add to the <clears throat> human existence, um, will come through something like an AI. Well, and then the robots that we're talking about in terms of manufacturing, like they may be able to think in the moment and do all that, but we're still going to be the ones that are in control. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily have a doomsday scenario when it comes to artificial technology. I, and even if they're manufacturing everything uh, in um, a non sentient manner, you know, they're just on an assembly line just producing. The overall costs go down even if it's being produced in another country uh obviously the cost would still go down because the price of land and all that but uh but overall. It would significantly go down because there's no human input. So where would be the be the impetus for human beings to engage in an eight hour workday when we don't need an eight hour workday in order to get the things that we rely on? They're already being produced. So so wouldn't I, we I agree be doing with something you, else? I agree with you everywhere up until
1: like needing the the eight hour workday. I really don't think robots are going to. Um, you know, take over. I think we'll always leave room for ourselves. I think if, if robots are going to have this big all of a sudden takeover, that would imply that all of a sudden there's a big giant leap in robotics and this new thing is unveiled that really off-puts us or offsets us but the transition into utilizing robotics is so slow that it's completely harmonious we're able to adjust for everything oh, yeah. that happens in the moment um, and, and account for that without it just being some big shock so it would be to imply that like tomorrow all of a sudden the terminator is going to exist and it's like the technology just never outpaces us that far and so you talked about um you know us becoming symbiotic with um <clears throat> with, uh, technology. And did you listen to the latest Joe Rogan with Elon Musk where he talked about Neuralink? Okay. So, um, his idea for Neuralink would be, um, so Elon Musk has a company called Neuralink where he's essentially trying to create a sort of computer interface that goes into the brain. Now, uh, DARPA, um, has already acquired some similar technology to this that was created by a doctor somewhere, I'm not exactly sure. There was a episode of the podcast Invisibilia, I believe, um, called Remote Control Brain from probably 2018 or early 2019, where they go over this gal who had um, chronic depression and she volunteered herself for a trial of an electrode being placed into her brain that was hooked up to um, a battery and i think it was about a 12 volt battery and so all this uh, electrode does is it gives her specific uh, a specific part of her brain uh, a little electric shock and it gets rid of her depression. Now, what they had to do is they had to slice her head open and while she was awake, move the electrode around and say, how do you feel now, how do you feel now, how do you feel now, how do you feel now? And uh, I'll I'll make a long story short, eventually they got it to where she went, oh my God, it's gone. Like, just like that, in a snap. Like, they found the place, they put it on her. There were some issues, but they got it all fixed out. The only big issue now is that every year it slowly comes back and her body adjusts and adapts very slowly and she starts feeling depressed again, so they have to turn the voltage up. They can only get to about 10, 10 volts before the electricity begins burning her brain tissue and the neurons and it begins to degenerate her ability to function. So they obviously have to stop it before turning it up. Um, But this is sort of a computer interface. What DARPA did is they took it and they turned it into, it was described something like an octopus with pentacles that has eight different places coming out, and they're trying to use it to treat soldiers for PTSD, quote-unquote. And I'm like, I can't imagine DARPA investing millions of dollars out of the kindness of their heart to treat soldiers for PTSD. Maybe. I mean, hey, it could happen. But I would imagine uh, that they're trying to use it like they use that... um, um, I can't remember the name of it. What is... That helmet that they they used that had magnetic um magnetic resonance that's what it is right um, magnetic uh, resonation that they used to um which is something they've also used to treat depression, but they used it on uh the military used it on people to help train them more quickly to identify anti-aircraft vehicles. So it typically takes somebody, I don't know, like 10 hours to learn how to identify anti-aircraft vehicles and people who are wearing this helmet with magnets and it that hyper-focused on certain areas of the brain could learn in about 50 or 60 minutes, um, uh, with their abilities being equivalent of someone who just took a 10 hour training or a two day training or something like that. Um, So at any rate, I would assume DARPA is trying to do something more like that with with their technology, which, again, is now becoming uh, computers meshing with um, with humans for. Symbiosis. Now, I want to get back to what you said, the thing that I disagree with. That was all the stuff that I I agreed with, the symbiotic relationship coming. Uh, You said there won't be a necessity for an eight-hour workday. And I actually remember you and I having a conversation a very long time ago. I would say probably about 10 years ago on the way up to um, San Luis Obispo from Los Angeles. And we were talking about literally this exact same thing. Right. Um, robots taking over people's jobs and they're not being a necessity for an eight hour work day. Um, but I, and, and I used to think like that won't happen. We will figure out a way to say like, we don't have to work. And, and I think it would be great for human beings to not have to work. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be working eight hours a day. If I had my choice, uh, I well, what would I, if I could ask you, how many hours a week would you want to work?
0: Uh, in the, well, I would say like on a daily basis, I mean, uh, eight hours usually for me, if I'm working hard on something, that's usually good. If I push it to something like 12 hours, it's just the law of diminishing returns. I would say in order to have like a good work life balance while also feeling productive, uh, just for work, I would say six hours okay then while also balancing your time using it in another way that you is see what i'm saying yeah that is not not it's not six hours of of work and then just sit on your butt the whole entire time i'm saying six hours doing a task that needs to you know that uh that'll allow you to take care of yourself but then also having other things that balance yeah. out your life that will actually make you a better employee in the long run i
1: no, i i get what you mean i mean like Um, six hours of work and then you come home and that gives you a little bit of extra time to work around the house or take care of your hobbies or do whatever it is you like to do. Read a book, draw, like not just sit out and and watch television. Um, I think that's a lot still. That is 30 hours a week, right? Yeah. Um, If I could make $150,000 a year $200,000 a year and live very comfortably um, off of that, uh, how many hours a week would I want to work? I would want to work no more than four days a week, I would want three days off. Definitely. Um, sometimes I would want four days off in a row so I could go do the things I want to do. And I probably wouldn't want to work more than four hours a day. So I'm going to say, or five, so I'm going to say 16 hours a week would be what I would work if you let me choose, um, that because I still want to work. I don't want to just sit around and do nothing like you said. And I, yeah, I actually do enjoy my job, you know, if, and here's the thing, if I only had to do my job 16 hours a week, you know what I would do? I would get another job doing something else. Cause I get yeah. bored of shit. I would go pick up a teaching gig at a, a local community college. Um, or I would go back to school and, and earn, uh, my PhD. Um, so that way I could really focus on moving towards my next career, which would be to get a job at a university and do research and teach and stuff like that. So, um, Okay, so we've established that we definitely don't want to be working (laughs) eight hours a day. Um, Here's the thing is that if you lived again 50 years ago or if you were alive 50 years ago and you could say, man, what would it take for us to not have to work eight hour days? I think people would say what we have now. Yet we're still working eight hour days. I don't. I don't see there being a point where the people who own the companies aren't just reaping the benefits and saying, "Okay, you can go home." I just think they'll hire people less, and I think they will
0: take more money. Yeah, uh, I, I could see that. And uh, um, I was just thinking as you were going through this and thinking about because you said like sixteen hours and you know four hours a day and all that. And to a lot of Americans, they would say like, oh, my God, like that's a lack of worth of ethic. Like, how could you put in uh, so little hours and still be satisfied as a human being and all that? And a lot of that, I think, is just the American culture. Like we've been kind of programmed to, yeah. to believe that. But I just kind of wondered and maybe this is just me glorifying hunter gather behavior. But I just I just think like our ancestors back in the day, you know, every single day was obviously a struggle. Yeah. You know, you had to find food, substance, uh, sustenance, all that kind of stuff. You had, you're constantly on the move looking for predators but I imagine if you uh you know, you wake up with your family in the morning, you got some other some more of your tribe members around and everything, you're gonna do your, your daily task of going out and uh executing a kill to bring back for uh everyone else, and you go out there and it's your lucky day. You know, you uh nab a big bison or something. Mm-hmm. Well, with proper food storage and the methods at hand at the time, maybe that would be good enough for three days. Yeah. Would the hunter gatherer at that point be like you know where they all turn to each other and be like listen bob this only took us an hour um we need to put in at least another eight hours of killing shit and then they'd be like well well bill that doesn't make any sense because then we're not going to have any uh, bison or antelope for tomorrow we'll just hold off and it's like well well you're being lazy now it's like well, no, I'm I'm not being lazy. It's like, well, so what? You're just going to go back to the rest of the hunter gatherers and just shoot the shit for the rest of the day. You're going to your do ass. nothing. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what I wonder. Like, is that nothing? Well, like I, with the whole COVID thing, with us not going, with us not going to work and everything, right. you're noticing more residential activity. Is our natural preset? to engage in behavior work like behavior when we need to because we need to provide but at the same exact time our necessity and need to bond to shoot the shit to to do nothing seemingly But we are doing something by engaging, meaning having kind of a dynamic approach to things. I don't think that we'll ever completely stop working, like you said. Like, we have to be doing stuff. And I'm not suggesting that uh, we have uh, AI come and takes everything over and we're just left doing nothing. I'm saying instead of you going and, let's say, working for AT&T eight hours a day, you can't stand it. But if you didn't have to do that job and you were left to your own devices what would you be doing right if you didn't need to produce for that CEO that you're talking about, what else could you be doing? Look, and I, I, I think
1: you started this off by saying like a lot of Americans think that uh, you're lazy if you're not working 40 hours. Um, and I don't, I don't know how true that is. I, I inherently want to disagree with it, but I don't have any data to back that up. I think most Americans would enjoy what you're talking about, the idea that um, they get a little bit more time to not work at at and and go back to school and pursue themselves, or even who gives a shit if that person decides to stay home and play video games with that time. But I just don't think very many people would. If you want to talk about human nature and what people will do, look at kids. Kids don't have to have a job. They go to school. And what do they do when they get home? Do they just then sit there and watch TV and do nothing? Some of them, sure. But tons of them just go outside and play and hike and do things. Man, when I was yeah. a kid, that's all I did after I got... Yeah, Me too. I, I, I watched a little bit of TV and ate some cereal. And then every day I'd go on a hike or ride my skateboard or ride my bike and exercise and build forts. And then I got into playing music and I would do that every single day after school. And so... It doesn't, it doesn't go unproductive. When I got furloughed for three weeks, you know what I did? Every day I woke up and made breakfast for myself. I made breakfast for Sarah. Um, I'd go out back and I'd water all the plants and take care of the yard. And then I'd go on a jog and I'd jog a mile or two miles. And then I'd get home and I'd do, you know, a little bit of light exercise, some crunches and um, some push-ups and things like that. <clears throat> shower, uh, and then go out into the garage and build something or go outside and fix something on the house, install an electrical box or whatever. And I would work, I don't know, five, six, seven hours around the house on things. And when it came about five thirty or five o'clock, I would stop quote unquote. And then that was kind of it for the night. I would go play some video games or I would, um, play the piano or the guitar or whatever, a lot of times I was still productive. A lot of times I would keep working until like 8 o'clock at night, mowing the lawns or pulling weeds or doing whatever. I don't think people would be inherently lazy with that stuff. I think we're bored. I think we like doing things. Um, so there are no qualms about that. I. I it's It's just that no one's going to pay you to do that. No one's going to pay you a living wage to work less unless they see the benefits, which I mean, there have been, there was a a uh, company in New Zealand that had their employees work. I think it was just a day less a week. So they said, uh, I don't know. God, I wish I could remember this. So it was, um, more solid, but they just said, okay, work a day less a week or take off whenever you want. And they saw 25% increase in their productivity across the company. In other words, they worked less and put out even more than working 40 hours. And I got to agree with that. I get burnt out. And then a lot of time is just spent there staring at the computer or shooting the shit with somebody. And you're just kind of stuck being there. I mean, working from home on quarantine, sometimes it's like, I kind of hit a wall with it and there's not a million things to do anyways. There is, but some of it's kind of hard and I feel guilty if I go into the garage and work on something because I'm supposed to be working and my productivity just decreases both at home and at work across the board. So I don't know. I, I not for this whole eight hour work day, 40 hour work weeks, but I don't think anyone uh, is ever going to be willing to pay me to work less out of sheer tradition.
0: Yeah. Well, I just hope that uh, over time that, uh, you know, the need to be paid a ton of money for that. It just won't exist because he'd have, um, robotics and all that. Basically, you know, without the human input, you're not going to have to pay as much for the products, uh, that you would otherwise have to. So, um, I mean, even, uh, you know, he ta- listening to Elon Musk, this was a long time ago, so I hope I don't butcher it, but he was basically talking about, uh, like one of his cars in the future that basically from the assembly line, Uh, it'll uh, incorporate itself, it'll drive itself off the assembly line, it'll uh, basically make a business for itself, it'll take in the income, use it to support itself in terms of going and getting repairs, yada, yada, yada. And the human element's going to be taken out of it. But there's human beings are still going to have to use money in order to pay for some of these things, but it's just not going to be, I would think it would just not be as expensive because there's not as much input so if you have robots doing all of this stuff you don't need to pay the 10 people that it otherwise would have taken to create that particular product um, but they're still you know but that means costs. Then,
1: that means then someone's going to lower that price unnecessarily like they might do it out of competition um with, to compete with somebody else but they're not going to lower it that much why would i look paul if you can build a car for let's say 20 Let's say you build a car for fifteen thousand dollars, you sell it for thirty. And I learn how to build one uh, for five thousand dollars. That doesn't mean I'm going to sell it for ten. You're selling yours for thirty, and if mine's equivalent, and I go to sell it, people are going to think it's shit. So I should sell mine for twenty-five. Okay, and that doesn't mean I should then give my employees all that extra money I'm making now, because instead of making um, you know fifteen thousand dollars off of a car, I'm making twenty thousand dollars. I'm going to keep that for myself. In fact, and I don't need as many employees now either. So I'm going to lay some of them off, and I'm not going to give that money for laying them off and getting rid of them to my other employees. I'm going to keep that for myself too. Good for me. I'm the one who came up with the idea. It's my stuff. I own the robots. It's not like any of you came up with the idea. And even though you did, I'm the one who had the money to buy it, not you.
0: So fuck off. Well, I'm talking s- about uh, the the price is adjusting over time, meaning that they'll have to lower the rates that, you know, even if they wanted to charge the 30 grand for the car, if, if we don't, If we don't have individuals that are manufacturing or are needed for the production process as it is, they're not going to have the income to produce or to buy what's coming off the assembly line. So what I'm saying is that the prices will naturally have to adjust themselves, um, almost like a deflationary sort of... If
1: that happens, that's going to have to get to the point of people being so poor that the people who are running these companies have no option but to say... I guess I have to lower this because I'm not getting even richer than I want to be. Um, And uh, look, I'm not saying that like like generally rich. people. Well, I'm saying wealth.
0: I'm saying the whole thing will adjust. I'm saying the the the, like like let me put it to you this way: like everyone that says that they want to raise the minimum wage, right? Like I I try to think about that um, because it's tough to try and think about. Like if you if you raise the wage, let's say it's ten dollars up to fifteen dollars an hour. Doesn't the economy overall then adjust over time? So, I mean, if you are making these adjustments, let's say, but you're not tacking on for inflation, like let's say you raise it to $15 an hour, but the economy is naturally going to adjust over time. So you're just instead of $10 being the poor limit, you're now saying $15 an hour is the poor uh the right. Poor baseline, basically, right. and you're just resetting everything. But if you're not tacking in the fact that it's going to, it needs to increase two percent a year to keep up with inflation, you're 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 really not doing anything overall. So, so I'm saying that the entire system would have to reset itself, where and, where where wealth would be looked at differently.
1: I get that. But again, I think that creates like this really, the only way that's going to happen is if there's some big sudden change, otherwise people are going to be getting, be content with the very, very slow change. All this slow change and this slow pace of progress means people are just content with a slightly lower wages and slightly lower wages and slightly like making less money and a few more people getting laid off, and all of a sudden 50% are, but we're all content because it just didn't happen at once. If it happened at once, when look, when big change occurs... So in, in California, um, we banned this, uh, the giving away of plastic bags in grocery stores about four years ago, right? Um, but could you imagine if they banned all plastic in general? People would have been in the streets and protesting, but it's just a plastic yeah. bag and the change was so small that nobody cared. And eventually we will get to the point of maybe having no plastic bags, but nobody's going to bat an eye and, and create an upheaval if it's slow, if it's fast. Everyone's going to get pissed off. What I'm saying is that the change towards what you're talking about, um, is going to happen so slowly that, that there's not going to be anything to really like get people, you know, fired up and, and fighting back to, you know, get what's theirs, what they've, you know, helped contribute to, um, If that were the case, why haven't we done it already? Like, don't you think that we've progressed enough already that in 2020, with the amount of robotics that have already taken things over, that the cost of things should have come down to a point where we could all work a little bit less?
0: But we're not. Well, that... Well, yeah, exactly. That that was the, the the theory and everything. But what we weren't accounting for was the fact that the manufacturing jobs were going to other countries, and that we weren't going to necessarily have the discretionary income to be able to pay for these goods anymore, even though they've gotten uh, more inexpensive. So, what's it going to take to get to that point? Well, I, I well, I'm not saying that this is going to happen instantaneously. We're going through the process right now. But and, I want it now, it. Paul. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't well, want to work saying, eight well, hours a I'm day. just <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, I'm just suggesting that this isn't going to take, this isn't going to happen all at once. It's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow and there's going to be a singularity all of a sudden. Uh, But I think we're going through that moment right now. Yeah. Like our middle class is slowly going away. things are becoming more automated, but we 're not quite there yet, so it is going to take a lot of time but i don 't know how this is looked at over time. Will there be a slow and gradual reset over time where I, I you definitely know, agree
1: we, in the long run, yes, in like two or three hundred years this will this will happen, but I think I think by the time you and I die in the year, you know, 2080 or 2090 or whenever it is and however old we're going to live to, um, we will really be seeing a lot of people hurting because of this, but we won't see that, uh, kind of revolt just yet. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I hope it happens while I'm still working. I'm afraid I'm going to have to work until I'm 75 or 80 until I die. Essentially. I'm, I'm serious. You're smiling, but like, dude, what are we going to do with social security and retirement and all that? By the time my dad was my oh, age, yeah. he already had so yeah. much paid into his 401k and all that stuff. Tons. Companies don't offer that type of stuff anymore. I mean, government jobs do. And, um, yeah. you know, if you're a firefighter well, that's what I'm or saying. a policeman or a teacher. But yeah. if you work in the public sector, like you, you're not getting any of that shit. I've got a, uh, you know, a 401k that um, my company doesn't even contribute to. So I've got it. And I'm like, well, why would I get it through my company then if they're not contributing anything? And they're like, well, sometimes it's cheaper to this and that and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so I've got no help on that. So it's very hard to like, I know I need to be putting stuff into that for my retirement. But at this time, I'm also like, you know, we just bought a house and we're trying to remodel that and we're getting married and then we're going to have kids. And it's like, when am I going to have enough money to put it in there? Which means I should just start doing it because there's never going to be a good time to do it. I'm just saying it's hard. Um, Now, as much as I'm sitting here and complaining, (laughs) I do also complain that our uh, generation is extremely frivolous. We fucking eat out all the time and blow tons and tons and tons of money, um, which is probably another thing that contributes to us working eight hours a day. Like when I was a kid growing up, my parents, we ate out like once a month, maybe. And we were eating like top ramen for dinner once a week. And, and like, you know, my mom would always make uh, ground beef tacos once a week, which was a super cheap meal. Dude, we don't yeah. do that shit. We're like blue apron three times a week, which is a $20 meal between the two of us. And uh, we go out once a week and um, we don't eat top ramen for dinner. We fucking buy you know, nice cheeses and salads. And so I will say, and we go out to bars all the time and pay $10 for a beer and go to concerts all the time to pay 14 and 15. Oh man. I went to a hockey game last year. We had paid $17 a beer, $17 wow. a beer. My parents would never do that. So I do sit here and complain a lot. Um, That like, oh, you know, we're not going to do this and do that and blah, blah, blah. But also like, we just, the more we make, the more we spend. We're we're not like, oh, I'm going to take this and and really take my time off. I will say though, that's because my job doesn't let me. My last job I worked at, I contracted for working 32 hours a week and I made less money and I was so happy. I loved it. The only reason I changed jobs was because this was a big step up for me career-wise towards what I wanted to be doing a little bit more, but they would not let me work only four days a week. So, um, I don't know. There's a give and take.
0: Yeah. I no, feel I like there's a, what's that?
1: I said, uh, I, I, feel like, uh, I went on a, a, little side rant, um, against that thing. But look, I, I do agree with you in the long run. Um, I just think it's going to be hard for us to get there. And I think it's going to take a, a long time and it's going to be a very, very slow, gradual change. I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime.
0: Well, we're feeling that that gradual shift right now. I mean, you know, first it goes from human capital getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Technology helps for these big corporations to put their manufacturing plants in other places because you have instant connection. You know, it's not like you have to wait for a letter to get, two weeks to the manufacturing plant, you can tell the plant manager from the United States right now today, like what to do, how to do it and how to make it happen. So, uh, and we're just feeling the the pains of this because our middle class is slowly starting to go away to where, um, you know, we may be like you're saying, increasing, uh, our spending on things that are frivolous. But at the same exact time, even if we were saving that capital and putting it, you know, towards a home or something, um, a lot of our generation is in that position to save that amount of money to make those big purchases. So, you know, like our uh, our parents and everything, maybe they you know, they had their 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 regular home that they bought when they were 22 years old and then they had a fun little skiing cabin or whatever that they bought when they were 26, 27, 28 years old. And we don't live those types of lives anymore. And I think a lot of older generations kind of look down on us a little bit because we're the tiny home generation. We're the camper generation. You know, we're the the not having the McMansion sort of thing. And it's not because we hate our parents. It's just because we can't sustain it the way that we used to. I mean, God, you look back before 2008 – the amount of homes that were going up, the size of the homes, the size of like the lots and everything, it was amazing, but it was totally not sustainable. And I think our generation is, uh, because we lived it, you know, we graduated around 2008 when we were in the midst of the financial crisis. Now we have the COVID thing. It's almost like we're a depression era, um, generation. Like we have this mindset that, you know, uh, Kind of enjoy life while you can right now, but in terms of saving for tomorrow, you know where is Social Security going to be? <laughs> yeah. Where is our four hundred one k? You know, uh, my savings are are limited, and I have to increase uh, my retirement savings over time in order to effectively retire. Yeah, but yeah, it, it we're we're going through that shift right now, and that's why there's such a tug of war in this country. You know, I mean. Uh, manufacturing going overseas there's all kinds of different things that are going on and it's creating a lot of tension i think i mean we are seeing it in real time yeah and hopefully it'll work itself out like we're saying to where uh the future won't be you know this uh dim dystopian type of existence that is just purely run by ai and we have you know uh nothing to do for ourselves but i don't think that that's going to be the case i think we'll do everything we can to integrate it because we always want to be better right so we'll integrate the ai we'll become superior in that regard and then we'll just have uh robots that basically you know do the cheeseburger flipping and producing cars and doing all the stuff that we no longer have to do um they are already doing that what is the
1: have you have you seen the cheeseburger uh flipping robot no, I haven't. There's a, there's a place called Cali Burger, and I think it's like a South Korean or a Chinese um, ripoff of In n Out uh, that they have all yeah. over the United States. I believe it, it originated in China or South Korea, uh, oh, but they brought I think it I've here. Heard of them. Yeah, and, yeah. And one of their locations is like completely like robot run in the kitchen where robots like flip the burgers and this and that, and it's supposed to be equivalent to um, In and Out. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've never been to one of those places. I'd be interested to go just to, to check it out and, and see what it looks like. Um, I did look into, we have a, uh, a robot that vacuums for us. That's nice. Um, I think we paid like two or 300 bucks and every morning it gets up and vacuums the dog hair, but I think we got it a few weeks ago. Um, it, Sarah had one maybe four years ago and, uh, uh, the technology just wasn't that, that great at the time. Um, it sort of worked, but it was noisy and annoying. And, uh, to be honest, that's kind of still where the technology is. We've had it for like two weeks and the thing just like is super loud all of a sudden after just two weeks and we've been like cleaning it out and there's hair stuck everywhere in it, um, that you wow. can't cut out. And, uh, I looked into getting a, a robot that mows your lawn for you and it's like a thousand bucks. I'm like, man, I'm not going to pay a thousand bucks, uh, to, to have a robot mow my lawn for me every week. Do they have that now? Oh yeah. Uh huh. They're about a thousand dollars. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm just not willing to pay that much. I mean, that would be a wise investment for somebody who pays twenty dollars to have a gardener come every month because
0: that's Well no, months. I think it's a wise investment for the gardener. <laughs> yeah. There I would you go. just I mean, literally I'm thinking in my mind, like, you know, buy ten of those fuckers and you got your own root and everything, and it's like, hey, but that's a another problem though too. It's like, you know, I've got all these employees that I love employing, but you know, if, if I decided to take 10 of those robots, um, there's a huge, you know, i am having to pay a lot in terms of capital costs. Maybe I get a discount cause I'm buying so many of them. And then over time they pay for themselves. And then they get to a point where all I'm having to do is just pay for gas maintenance and just transporting them yeah. to the job. But if they're able to take care of it themselves over time, I'll make a lot of money off of that. But you know, Then where's the human factor? Where's the employees? Where are the people that are, you know?
1: I think the issue that comes down to all of this stuff too, it's like the question I just wanted to ask is like, well, why would anybody do that? You say like, oh, well that, that would be good for the gardener to buy 10 of those instead of having 10 people. And it's like, why would the gardener want to do that though? And I think the answer with any of this stuff in a capitalist economy is, well, like, so he could make more money. He wouldn't, it wouldn't cost as much and then he can reap all the benefits, but if we continue to look at things like that we're we're going to encounter the point that you say where nobody can work and nobody can purchase anything so i think if you think about it in the future with robotics and the way things keep advancing, if we get to a point where people can't afford to buy things, we're going to have to flip from a capitalist driven economy where all we think about well, is the, the things that drive our reasoning is, well, so I could make more money. We're going to have to shift away from that because that isn't going to be a driving force or a driving motivator for us anymore. And it's, it's something that comes into my decision making process every once in a while but I'm not somebody who owns a business. I don't think everybody's always going around so I can make more money, so I can make more money. Otherwise, like I would spend all my weekends doing things so I could make more money, and I don't. I'm content. It's just we sort of live well, in the system that's already perpetuated that.
0: Is there a problem with looking at it like in terms of money? Because I always hear uh, money, 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 and I and I get it because it's, it's uh, tantamount to the problem to greed. is. We're going but are we talking get- about a Efficiency, though? Are we talking about efficiency? Like, when the gardener does that, is it necessarily because he wants more money, or is it more efficient? Is it better to have 10 robots, or is it better to have 10 personality types that he has to now manage? Yeah. Whereas whereas he could have... Sure, he may, in the aggregate, make more money, but at the same exact time, isn't it better to have a more efficient process?
1: If you say, you know, uh, it's having... 10 personalities that you have to balance well then just have nine or just have eight or have seven and if it's like like well then you know i could just go down to just have none so like the only reason he's hiring somebody else underneath him to begin with is so he can get more money isn't it It's not about efficiency. If it's about efficiency, it's you focus on you, you do your job and you don't worry about anybody else and you don't get anybody under you and you do your thing and you're done. It's not about that. It's about, you know, I need to hire somebody underneath me so we can do more of this and I can rake a little bit of that in so I can afford more, so I can
0: buy more, so I can give more to my kids and to my family. And I get that. Well, money is the byproduct though. Money is the byproduct. I can't just go to you and say, I want more money. Give it to me. You'll be like, well, no, Joe's going to charge me $5 less. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't just work. I can't just say you pay me $5 more. I have to say my process is more efficient. Thereby, you're doing yourself a service by going with my service and paying the $5 extra. The byproduct is I'm going to make more money, but you're going to save more time by not going with the other guy so it's a win for you and it's a win for me and the companies that tend to really succeed are the ones that can create efficient processes replicate those processes over time the byproduct is more money sure they want to be efficient and they want to kill and they want to you know be the best company around but that's by be, by creating a better company the byproduct of that is the income so sure i guess you could have a greedy mindset going into it and you want more money but you get more money by creating value for the other person. So maybe I'm just cheerleading capitalism at this point. <laughs> well, I like, was going to say it's but just it,
1: two sides of the same coin. I think we're we're dealing with the same issue. It's just two different ways of looking at it. I don't think any one is more correct than the other. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? It's like well, what's somebody's motivation? Money or efficiency? It could be either. Um, but, it's a balance. Yeah, and it's a balance. And definitely, there. It, it's probably both because it's like what I'm saying for me is like I don't want more money because it's inefficient for me that like what I'm going to get if I start working on the weekends starts to take away from what I want to do. Um and so there are people who get kind of taken over by that um and really just focus on um on that. So yeah, I think it's a balance and different people have different amounts of it that they they want to focus on. But um I don't know. So <clears throat> I think um I think we could eventually uh, get to that point. I just think it's going to take a while.
0: I don't know where we were yeah. going
1: with this in the, in the last ten minutes, other than just discussing the ideas and the things that exist out there.
0: <laughs> well, I was trying to figure out where we were trying to go in the last uh, fifty three minutes. This was supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be a fifteen minute segment, and honestly, I had no plan going into it. I, I just have this, you know. I, I just keep hearing from everyone that, uh, except for like an Elon Musk, uh, but you hear from like a Sam Harris, uh, and he's a philosopher and kind of a media guy and a smart dude. But all these individuals, they're really in fear that the, the future is going to be our doom and they think it's going to be tomorrow. And I think what we've just kind of talked about is we, I think we're both on the same page and we think that this is going to take time. It's not going to just happen tomorrow, but it is something that we have to take seriously. It is something that we have to take seriously. And that's like the
1: whole point of people being fearful and warning. And the whole point of, like I said, with the book Homodeus is they're attempting to change. Um, one of the possible outcomes of the future because that's not set in stone yet. And every time that somebody does one of uh, um, these big fear-mongering campaigns about technology, it changes how people are going to respond to it. It makes them less cautious to just freely welcome it into their lives. And it makes sure and it makes more certain that we don't go down that doomsday route with it. So so I don't think it's uh, an unfair... um, Fight for somebody to 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 make. I think that it's okay for a Sam Harris or an Elon Musk to be fearful of those things because it ensures that we don't go down that road. If nobody was doing it, then we'd be blindly blindly wandering down it, uh, down the road towards oh, technology, yeah. um, with the yeah. possibility of ending up on on that specific path. I think this is narrowing that possibility and just making sure we're aware that it is a possibility all along the way. It's like, it's like saying paul uh we 're going on a hike. watch out for rattlesnakes. you know um, there's a lot of snakes around here i 'm not saying it because you are definitely going to get bit i 'm saying it because it's there they 're out there. you could get bit, and now that you 're looking out for it we 've reduced the chances of that happening,
0: yeah, not obsessing about it, just keeping an open mind for if you do come across one
1: sure, and look, we have so many science fiction movies where that. That, uh, happens where robots take over and, um, you know, uh, people are, are killed off. There's the matrix and there's terminator and where we become this unnecessary entity in, in the machine that we need to be done away with. Um, there's so many sci-fi movies like that, that this whole thing is built into our processing. Like we can't help but see it <laughs> and then we can't help but avoid it because it, but I'm, I'm yeah. serious. It, it is a social construction. It's like I, I ask everybody, so I teach on behavior analysis and we we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but we've completely run out of time. So we'll just keep with this and pick that up next time. Um, but while I'm teaching everybody, uh, I go, look, um, a lot of things that we learn are conditioned. A lot of our fears are conditions and our beliefs about something. Um, take, for example, a snake. And I get a mixed response on this, um, you know, but snakes or spiders. Uh, many people have fears or phobias of, of spiders or snakes. Do you have one? Are you, are you afraid of either no. of those things? No? Okay. Yeah. So um, when that comes up, someone's like, oh, yeah, I hate snakes. I hate snakes. And I go, wow, well, why? And it's like a lot of times people will say, people just don't like snakes. Like it's a natural thing. We're born like that. Uh, And, and we don't know that. In fact, we think that's not really true as a science, a science that studies learning. So when I say we, now I am saying me and my field of scientists, we think, and research says that a lot of this stuff might be taught to us. And it's hard to figure out whether it's nature or nurture. We see YouTube videos of children in India, um, you know, waving snakes around their head like a lasso and they're still in diapers and they're not afraid of snakes at all. But we see, you know, kids sing a snake on TV in their diapers and they're crying. Uh, I remember watching Harry Potter last year and my, my niece who wasn't a year old, she was in the room and, um, a snake forms in the cloud and hisses it's Voldemort and all the music goes dark. And then she starts crying and my sister comes and gets her and like, Hey, you shouldn't let her in while you're watching this. And I'm like, it's not the snake. It was the music and the mood and like everything going black and the loud noise that's what scared her and that's that's what all got paired with it and so she is going to grow up to be afraid of snakes because of that and you say just because of that one instance she's going to grow up and she's going to be afraid of snakes that sounds like a lot of bs and no it's not because of that it's because a snake is not only the enemy in harry potter a snake is the enemy in aladdin right? Jafar turns into a snake when he is battling Aladdin and the genie. Uh, a snake is the enemy in the Jungle Book, right? A snake wraps around uh, the boy, Mowgli, is that his name? Um, yeah, and and you know is about to eat him, and a snake is the evildoer in all the books that we read. You grow up and you got you get taken to church. You better watch out for sin, uh, Satan, that snake. Uh, and so all of these things are socially condi- conditioned into us. We always pick the snake as the villain. It is so predictable. Well, it's um, biblical
0: too, right? Like is what that I'm the Story of that, yeah. Satan, so, it's in our foundational. Yeah. Yes.
1: So then it is put into every. Story. And you say, well, humans are naturally afraid. No, we're not. We've been told to be afraid since the time yeah. that we were uh, in diapers and all these big mo- the movies that we see with big, scary noises and things happening. It's not happening when a bunny rabbits there. It's happening when there's a snake there. It's happening when, uh, you know, there's a tiger there or a wolf is another one or a spider. Um, so uh, these, these are the ways in which we learn to be afraid of those things. The whole point of this was is that um, we have been taught to be afraid of robots, uh, especially autonomous robots. And uh, you know what we were talking about at the, the beginning of this podcast, well, really what we were talking about was Trump. So I have no idea how we got onto this. <laughs> I, think, I think we were talking about how capitalism has always um, tried to... Could you elaborate on it? What did we start with? What was our original?
0: Um, we were just talking about uh, what was going on in Saudi Arabia and our gas prices and all that kind of stuff, and just how uh, but our moving saying, of. Oh, yes, oh, yes, ahead. yes.
1: Our, mo- our moving of the production of oil across seas, us trying to stop that from happening so that we can keep that infrastructure here, but that we've always done that, right?
0: Yeah, like we moved our factories, a lot of our uh, consumer good factories over to China and all that. That seems to be what we do. But when there's a national interest, security interest, uh, in terms of like oil and things like that, then we have to play it safer and encourage or make sure that uh, the prices aren't so low that our corporations end up going out of business
1: you know i have a question on that let's bring it full circle and end with this conversation um is it really a national security interest look if we don't have manufacturing here doesn't it become a national security interest so when china stopped manufacturing goods when covid19 first hit and production slowed down we didn't have a lot of things that we needed here on the shelves a lot of things that um are produced there Um, a lot of packaging and things like that could not be found here and we we had empty shelves in the stores besides toilet paper Um, things like um, you know masks and antibacterial um, whether it's because of the we didn't have the bottles or the labels or um, the actual goods to create the antibacterial itself our shelves were empty on some things and we didn't have the capacity to deal with all of that stuff so I mean I I feel like we could argue, like that manufacturing itself. Um, is is a risk for nat- national security, right? If we went into um, war with another country for an extended period of time um, and a lot of countries started getting locked out and it was not safe to be shipping things because routes were being bombed constantly and bombarded constantly, would we have the means necessary to keep up production to support our troops or would it be like a World War II thing and everybody just now gets a job producing and working for the war machine.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I think uh, maybe I explained it uh, poorly from the get go, but that's actually, I mean, that's uh, literally what I was saying that uh, that manufacturing has kind of followed the, the way of uh, oil in terms of, you know, we've moved a lot of the manufacturing overseas and now our supply lines for some of these consumer goods during COVID have dried up. And, Uh, And that's maybe the way in which I was stating it in terms of my definition of national security. National security isn't someone necessarily pointing a nuclear weapon at us. National security is if we had a supply chain go down right now, if we couldn't rely on another country to produce this particular thing, what would our country look like? What would happen? And I think – That's important to look at. If we all of a sudden became isolated because there was some major world event, could we sustain our own in the meantime? And I think that's the national security interest that we should be looking at. And I think in terms of the federal government, they should be, you know, it should be almost like acts of God. I'm not saying acts of God in terms of a belief in God, but I'm saying um, things that happen that are so outside of our normal planning mechanisms that the only, you know, real institution that could take care of it is something like the federal government. Right. So when it comes to manufacturing and national security in that regard, um, I think they do have an interest in maintaining uh, um, or at least formulating a plan and getting the collective States together to try and tackle whatever issue is at hand. Um, But yeah, no, I I think that we're seeing that right now with manufacturing in terms of uh, us not having the middle class that we used to. I think it's a serious issue that is, happening now we don 't necessarily have to wait to the, uh, until the future because we're going through the motions right now so a
1: solution to uh, the issue of manufacturing and not having the ability to produce here um, a solution to that being a national a risk to national security is um, to invest more into robotics taking over manufacturing so that it's cheaper and we can produce it here and in in, uh as a result of that or as a byproduct of that also increase middle-class jobs for people who are going to have to take over um upkeeping the robots i think that's kind of the general theme then of your statement correct yeah. like yeah and exactly is. and even,
0: even if the plants were to be located outside of the uh, the United States as long as they're secure and everything like you were saying land overseas might be cheaper but if there's no human input then it's just a, man, a matter of land cost so sure. I mean there's other variables too but uh yeah, no, I think this is a a serious thing that is taking place now and is a national security I do think that um, is a issue. good
1: solution. And I think there are probably still places in the United States where land is cheap enough um, to where big buildings could be purchased and, and really just focus on things like that. Um, I don't know enough about it though, to say for certain that it would work. But I mean, that does pose a good solution to increasing national security while creating more United States jobs and bringing manufacturing back home. So...
0: Huh? Yeah, and sometimes uh, you know, like states like California, it, you know, it's a very expensive state, and they'll go into competition with other states to bring industry here. And the way that they bring in industry is by uh, subsidizing the various industries that come here. There's good and bad to that in terms of long-term outcomes. But if you want to get a new industry, if you want an Amazon plant to open up, they'll give you tax breaks and everything. Maybe on a national scale, uh, when robotics take off, and uh, Corporation A is looking at saying, hey, we're, we want to open up our robotics factory in China. It's going to be secure. We can secure it. It'll be fine. Um, you know, If anything happens, uh, we'll be able to keep supplying and everything. Uh, and the United States state says, hey, no, we, we don't want those assets overseas, even though they're still secure. Uh, we want you to build that stuff here. So we're going to subsidize your plant production here. So basically, instead of having the tariff, you just say, you know, if the plant costs $100,000 in China and it's $200,000 here, we're going to give you $100,000 in in tax credits or something. Right. Right. You know, and obviously that helps. Yeah. And obviously that helps the big corporate dude or gal, right? Like, and that's what we're vehemently against. We don't like cronyism, but... If if in the long term, that means that we as a nation are secure and we have secure supply chains, and then we end up paying more – or sorry, we end up paying less, and we continue to get more over time because of robotics. And I think that that's something that we should be looking at for the future. But I think that's why our government – like I wish we spent more time looking at long-term goals rather than just short-term fixes. Yeah. And I, I maybe that's where the way – the
1: I was just going to say, I think that's really the big issue in the United States is we're just focused on elections and winning them, not fucking short term, short term, short term. Yeah, Yeah, I very, very rarely see anybody here who seems genuinely concerned with solving a problem. Um, and if they do, um, that then when they attempt to solve those problems, they might do it in crazy ways or in extreme ways that people don't necessarily agree with. Which brings us to something we might go over our next episode, um, is talking about... Uh, third-party presidencies and Justin Amash uh, running as a libertarian uh, for the 2020 election. I know we were supposed to talk about habits today. We did not at all, Paul. Um, But uh, so maybe we'll get to that uh, in, in, let's get to that next podcast and then we'll do um, Justin Amash, the podcast after that. Sound good? Yeah, sounds like a plan to me. All right. So that's all we have time for uh, this episode. Join us next week as we clarify some of the topics that we might have uh, skimmed through this week um, in talking about robotics when we weren't supposed to. It worked out. I mean, this, this was a topic that I had on the topics page. I don't know if you saw that or not. It was, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I wasn't going to veer away from it as it as it turned into that. I'm like, whatever. Uh, we're not really prepped for this, um, but it's something I definitely wanted to talk about. So um, we will we'll go over and address some things that we talked about this week that we probably skimmed over. or didn't address adequately, or maybe we said something that was just weird and didn't come out right. Um, and hopefully we'll go over some new material next week and, uh, we'll see you next week on wayward weekly.